Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Okay, yeah, I'm on. Okay, good. We're in the main frame. We're in the main frame. Even probably like, how fucking hard is it for them to figure this out? We literally, also like she's, she literally sent us an email spelling it out so non-complicated. And I'm like, did we do it? Oh my gosh. Uh, Hello, folks. This is uh, Christine and Em. We are attempting to record on Skype today since we've had a couple issues with you know lags and things over the internet we were over the internet like program we were using so we'll see what happens yes we will we will see what's i mean a for effort i'm gonna call it that's the title of this episode (laughs) (laughs) that's the title of our podcast our new podcast it's just us. that's really the title that was the first title of our original podcast (laughs) i think um anyway so hopefully this works i it seems to be working but i don't want to jinx it um so how are you doing em hmm well i think i'm okay we things are pretty similar to days one through 45 over here so i'm thinking as it's day 46 we're we're good in that uh i guess everything's clean we have food Yes. I guess I'm a lucky a lucky person in that way. I also have been cleaning a lot. So oh my. I feel very good about myself because that's something I usually do not do. I was going to say in the beginning of uh the quarantine I was cleaning a lot and you were like uh you were like that's not going to last very long. Now we've like switched places and I'm I got living so bored. in my <laughs> filth and you're cleaning always. So and this your is fun. Filth. That's exactly what I like to call it. Yeah. I uh <laughs> Well, I've been cleaning a lot. I've been trying to downsize, like declutter. Um, but then I think a lot of the Goodwills around us are also closed. And they so are. there's nowhere to bring the Goodwill. So I like my car is slowly getting more and more stuffed with stuff. 
Yeah, I keep trying to bring stuff out of the car, and then I'm like, I don't want my car to get broken into, so I get nervous about that, and then they just leave it all in the living room, so now there's just, like, bags of donations everywhere. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I think we're very fortunate. Otherwise, uh, we're not, you know, we're, we're fully aware of that. Yeah. And uh, I definitely don't get to complain. Just trying to make the best. No, yeah, I feel very fortunate that people in my family are healthy, um, knock on wood, and uh, that um, you are healthy. That's very important to me. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. That just made my heart go a flutter. Uh, <laughs> something else that made my heart go a flutter a couple hours ago uh, for lunch, RJ made me a steak. It was the first steak I've had in like over a month. Whoa, RJ. I know. Big day. Big day. Pulling for out us. all the stops for you. Also, um, so I don't know how much I should say, but I do want to say something because I can't keep my mouth shut. And someone decided that my career should be giving me a microphone and speaking to the public. So he he he. Um, but what is I, it? I'm dying right now. <laughs> so I've already told you a little bit, but apparently RJ's going on his first date this weekend. Oh, yes. So I would like to keep people updated on that because I'm very excited for him. I hope it goes well. Allison and I have been trying to coach him a little and what to say. So, But now this is a virtual date, right? Like, This is a virtual date. Yes, he is not. Okay, good. He's not breaking the social distance rules, but we are all very excited for him. So I have not ever I seen him. Broke a... I haven't seen him giddy before. Ooh. Well, I mean, if it means more stakes for you, I feel like this is a good turn of events. I, that's exactly what I said. I was like, you must be in a good mood because you're literally making steak and then letting me eat it. And so like, if this is <laughs> what love is like for you, then I also want you to be in love. <laughs> I love it. Um, you just brought, probably broke a bunch of listeners' hearts uh, who were hoping for their chance with RJ. But, uh, you I know, maybe someday. I just wanted to say, you know, I just wanted to let everyone know that we can all equally, you know, indulge in a little heartbreak right now. Um, but... You know, no no better time than to, like, eat a bunch of ice cream while you're quarantined, knowing that all eight packs of him are going on a date this weekend. They are, but they're also being kept indoors, so, you know? They are. She doesn't know he has eight packs. This is These are things that our, our listeners know that, that this date does not yet know. So we all still have a one-up on her. Wow, thank God. I hope we keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I'm slowly losing sanity? I'm just talking about my roommate nonstop. I would say quickly but sure yeah uh, oh i would say steeply like a like a sturdy <laughs> incline decline decline um very much decline uh so i also uh found my old emf detector from back like when like my first original one like it's the gray one that i used to have at your place oh the one that was at my house and i was scared of losing it so i gave it back <laughs> Well, then I ended up losing it. And so I, I found it in the in the midst of my decluttering. And so now I'm thinking, if I ever hear that tapping on the lamp again, I'm definitely going to have to use it. Good idea. And if you guys don't know, did you talk about that on the show? I think that was just uh, on Instagram live. But, oh, um, there's been, been a tapping in M's room that's that is potentially a spirit. I it don't seems- know, question mark. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people eye rolled at that, but it does feel like it's weirdly intelligent because it only happens when I mention it or when I'm like out loud saying, "Hey, I haven't heard that tapping in a while," and then all of a sudden it shows up. So, and um, it's on your nightstand, like right next to you. 
right next to me. I, one time it was on Allison's nightstand, and then I said out loud, oh, that's usually by my nightstand. And then it started tapping my the lamp on my nightstand. <laughs> so, like, that's enough for me with my quarantine sanity or lack thereof to decide that, like, I should be ghost hunting in my own house now. Great. I mean, listen. So look out for that. I think that um, we've been kind of, like our lives have been building to this very moment where we're stuck inside ghost hunting our own bedroom. So you're, you're in the clear. <laughs> okay, tell me about, tell me about you. I feel like I just like gave you like five different updates, which are not updates at all. So oh my gosh, no, they're definitely updates. Um, they're definitely ghosty updates, which I appreciate. I had one note, actually, I told Emma I was going to mention the Reddit page and I wanted to, um, warn them because, uh, we try to avoid the Reddit page. Um, because some people can be really mean yes uh on the internet what a shock um and people can also just be brutally honest and not necessarily mean but it hurts my feelings so i try to avoid the reddit but my brother's on it and he's you know runs around like a vigilante like <laughs> trying to defend us all the time and um he sends me like screen caps of things that he thinks are like nice or funny and um one of them is this uh reddit user said after listening to the last episode of and that's why you drink which was my Therese richardson um at the time i had to giggle about christine and her 98 honda civic in a week i'll be getting a 98 honda civic because it's a major upgrade for my car i like to name my cars my chrysler is dennis the menace um blah 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 i was brainstorming names for my next car and i was trying to think of another respectable female influence and i thought about christine and so now she's named her new 98 honda civic after me and it's just like this weird thing goal that i never knew i had to um have a car named after me what a nice like and um all like i it came out of good intentions but it's also kind of a backhanded compliment of like oh if we were to name any car after you it's going to be a a a honda civic from the 90s well like i hope like i hope i get named after that was my first car or that was my special car i love i know i get it i just would like to think if i ever got named after anything it'd be like a tesla you know not like not like a a old school wow and the tesla that's pretty cool sounding yeah um no i'm very happy for you uh it doesn't have your username on here i think oh r shay um and i you know i respect that if it's an upgrade from your current chrysler (laughs) Sebring, i have no listen uh, apparently m wants a tesla i am still in the old school car phase of my life um but uh then my brother commented and he said are you naming it christine schieffer or, or just Christine, because I'm picturing you t- telling people that your name car's name is Christine Schieffer. And then um, they responded that they're getting a lemon air freshener. And then I was like, how is nobody talking about the fact that Stephen King's haunted car was named Christine? And like nobody. That's had the real question. Of- right. I was like, hello, everyone. Like, it's the perfect name because it's a literal haunted car. So I texted my brother and forced him to write that in the comments. And um <laughs> He wrote that. And so anyway, it was just a very nice, uh, comforting exchange amidst some of the negativity on the internet. So well, that's nice. I, I do very proud and pleased. I will say if it's an upgrade, then I'm very proud of you. I just it's I and actually also upon like immediate one second long reflection, I actually retract the Tesla thing. And I would prefer per back to the future, uh, a DeLorean, which is like m- much worse in quality. <laughs> so I like I really have no leg to stand on. Well, um, I, you know, used to drive a an Audi from the early 90s, and it was 
turquoise and that thing was um very special to my heart although i am pleased turquoise yeah it was quite a quite a it was a custom color um oh my i did not i definitely did not paint it that the person before me did but uh um it was special to me my car was named rowena ravenclaw by the way so in case anyone's wondering Oh, I think so. you have said that before. I remember being impressed. Oh, oh I thank you. <laughs> I I had um I've only ever had Subarus, um, which definitely like like that's not helping the queer stereotype that everyone has a Subaru. But uh I wasn't gonna say anything but to fit the stereotype of my Jewish mother because they have the best crash ratings, so like one wins. Right. Um, yeah, no, you do have a Subaru and you have like the full on Subaru with like the seat coverings and like i feel like i don't know why this was the, the conversation we recently had i think again because the quarantine we're running out of things to talk about but i recently went on a rant about how much i love Subarus. like i think it's the only car i'm ever gonna own is Subarus. <laughs> anyway this is not an ad to Subarus. i'm just i just like my car <laughs> i love a subaru are you listening are you listening oh they could probably pay us some big bucks subaru hello are you listening um i also wanted to say one more thing um someone mailed us a package and our like mailbox place sent a picture and apparently somebody had stolen the contents of this Mm. package and there was no return address it just said carrie loves you and then an empty box so if that is you and you're listening uh please let us know what was in the box unless it was like a ghost or something (laughs) and it was meant to be you know an empty box but um it could be it could be really sweet or it could also be really sinister if like the only thing left is like Carrie loves you. And also like imagine we've gotten some wild stuff sent to us. I hope that whoever stole it, I like to think that the contents were something that freaked them out. Like I hope that karma serves its purpose. Wait, that's a good point. I hope that ghost that Carrie put in there just haunted that person for the rest of the life. I hope that cursed doll really is doing well. Also, by the way, we just talked about Christine and Carrie, two acclaimed Stephen King uh, characters. So I wonder where this episode is going. Probably somewhere bad. Um, I really wish that I had, like, delivered a Stephen King story today. That would have worked out really well for me. Damn. I don't have one either, unfortunately. Um, I also want to say one more time, I know we said this last week, but we are doing an Instagram happy hour every Thursday at three that's gotten like super fun. And it's basically you guys asking questions, M and me catching up. Um, so that's, oh, it's 3 p.m. Pacific time. And then it's up for 24 hours on our Instagram, ATWWD podcast. Um, M, you're still doing Marvel Mondays, right? I am. I'm doing that five o'clock Pacific time, uh, eight Eastern time on Instagram. Yes. And that every Monday, uh, every Monday. Yes. And we're, and we're doing uh, half movies now for a while. We were doing the whole movie, but oh. uh, we're breaking it up. That way we have uh, more weeks in a row to watch, but also so that way there's more like a succinct amount of time to do a Q and a instead of like, you know, people just, there's no way as honored as I am that people want to be a part of that. I also understand that like nobody wants to be on an Instagram live for like two to three hours. So we're breaking it up. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, the, that, the Marvel Mondays are super fun. Even I go in there a lot of times and I don't know anything about Marvel. So <laughs> um, <laughs> check that out. And then I'm still doing my YouTube. I don't know what's going on on there. I'm just doing random different things. What's your plan? What's your, what's your like end Like what's the... I've never heard your whole spiel about yeah. it. I know what what's on it, but do you have a like a game well, plan? Well, so I was doing my cautionary tales, and then I kind of ran out of stories. And um, nowhere right now is really shipping books in a very fast pace because there are more important things to mail out right now. So I no, don't... there are not. <laughs> no, it's hard to believe. 
Um, but so I haven't been able to do new ones of those. So then I just had people send in like what they wanted me to cover. And basically people sent in some like very creepy, like personal true crime stories, like somebody, you know, uh, their neighbor was breaking into their house and they didn't know it and like creepy stuff like that. And so I'm just doing like little readings of that, those um, with with some creepy music underneath and uh, drinking wine and inviting people to drink with me about scary murderers and stuff. Um, So it's basically what we do, but just more of it. While I'm drinking. But without fucking me. Well, Got most it. So of you're the just comments, sh- you're just running the show. No, most of the comments are like, well, where's M? And I'm like, well, M's at their house. Like, M cannot be here right now because, <laughs> like, we're not allowed. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, d- yeah, people are not necessarily. Um, pe- most people were like, well, is this ending the podcast? And I was like, dear God, if me doing a YouTube channel that has, like, 800 views per video would end the podcast we'd both be in big big trouble um Yowza. considering i'm making zero zero cents on that so anyway <laughs> it's called the the, the x teen files if you want to check it out or email me a story and you know my white hand story with crazy carl yes of course so i'm uh writing that i had my mom send her version to me and i'm writing out like a full story of it for the first time ever and so i'm hoping to read that one um on an episode soon and yeah it's fun it's creepy. I thought for a second you were going to say something like, I don't know why, but I assumed in my quarantine brain that you had like made contact with Carl and he was going to like guest star on your show. And now... Well, I did in <laughs> more or less ways you'll have to find out. Wink, oh, wink. nudge, nudge. <laughs> but yes, no, he's not in my house. Don't no, worry. No, no, no. Okay, great. Well, hopefully he's not in my house. So, oh god, he's tapping. He loved to tap on. <gasps> Wait a second. No, I'm just kidding. Hang on it. Wait with his white glove. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, we have a podcast. Welcome. Here's our stories. So, um, oh god, we've been talking for a long time. Sorry, folks. When we don't see each other, like every single second, we suddenly have a lot more to talk about. Oops. I know. I like. I actually like miss your face. I'm like, what's it look like? Let me guess. You've got. Well, let me guess. Hang on. If we had a camera in our faces, you would have some mascara and lip mm-hmm. slut lipstick on. But because we're not recording, you probably got a whole How lot of nothing on your face. How dare you call me that word? A lip slut? You're welcome. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Um, yeah, I, you're actually right. I did. Blaze had a day <laughs> off today, so I was like, I'll actually uh, take a shower for once. Um, so I did take a shower, and I did actually put my uh, lip slut lipstick on. It's uh, the fuck Trump again my favorite shade Mm. and um yeah so you actually you hit the nail on the head there i'm also wearing your t-shirt so that's also true which is usually the case (laughs) calcipraise it make can can i request something now because i'm like i know i'm behind the curve i know this is like what a lot of like college students do but like i'm you know how like blaze has the uh his quilt with all the yes like all of his old shirts on it i would like to request a quilt of all my old shirts when you decide you no longer want them so we like keep passing it back and forth yeah so i actually told that to blaze recently i like i was like why did no one ever make me a t-shirt quilt and he's like do you want me to make you a t-shirt quilt and i was like yes (laughs) (laughs) i okay so so i'm literally having one made right now which is why that's on my mind so (laughs) i totally understand oh boy all right sorry you can tell your story now 
Do you pride yourself on finding the best deals and savings? Yes, it's me. I'm raising my hand. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. Get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every single category, including fashion, beauty, home essentials, travel, dining, and so much more. Shop brands like Macy's, Adidas, YSL Beauty, Samsung Petco, just to name a few. Plus, membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Cashback rates change daily. Here's how it works. Stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers, and then Rakuten shares a commission with its members via check or PayPal quarterly. And you better believe how exciting it is when your PayPal alerts you that you've gotten money. It's no wonder Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. Or get the Rakuten app to start saving today. Your cashback really adds up. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listeners can get 15 percent off their first order at burrow.com slash drink that's burrow b-u-r-r-o-w dot com slash drink for 15 percent off burrow.com slash drink did you know fast growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the u.s with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the u.s you can grow lemon avocado olive or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of house plants available fast growing trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days and along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee they offer free plant consultation forever i am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
So, okay, here's my story. Um, this one is from Australia. I will not be a shitty American and try to do the Australia accent. Um, although I sure would like to. We already did that. <laughs> we already did that in early episodes plenty of times. That's true. Um, by the way, can I tell you a fun thing I about Australia for me? Absolutely. I think I've mentioned it before, but it's like my favorite story that's ever like happened to someone I know um, was when I worked at the Segway shop. I worked with a, a girl that I went to college with and she literally had one of those aha moments of like, oh, you know, I want to go do something really interesting. Like, I feel like I you know, I'm kind of wasting my time. Like I want to go like have an adventure. So she decided she was going to sell all of her stuff and like just move to Australia or at least like go for like three months or something. Whoa. Like that. And then everyone was always making fun of her of like, oh, what if like you like go to like the Great Barrier Reef or something and like your diving instructor like is like the love of your life. And then that literally happened. No. And so then she met him, fell in love with him. And then when she came back to the States, apparently they stayed in contact and he was like, I will like fly you back out here. Like, I want to be with you. And now they've been married for like four years. Wow. What a story. Isn't that bananas? Yeah, it like sounds so fake. It would like make a lame movie because it's so cliche. I love it. I adore it. I know. It makes me really, it's like the only cool thing that's like, like picturesque. So anyway, I, whenever I hear Australia, I like to like force that into conversation. So you're welcome. Um, anyway, Aww. my story's from Australia. It's one of the most haunted locations in Australia. And um, it, I think it made it, I think I was trying to find more places outside of the States um, to report on just because I know we have a lot of international listeners. And so I just picked Australia and I was like, what are some of the most haunted places? And this was on a lot of the lists. So I'm. Oh, and it, I did get some very juicy info. So uh, this is the Arendelle Mental Hospital. Okay. Okay. And I keep wanting to say Arendelle from Frozen. Me too. Uh, that's what I thought at first. <laughs> so I keep thinking like, oh, am I mispronouncing it? Because I just want to force the sound of Arendelle into it. So anyway, it's one of the most haunted locations in Australia. It was at one point 100 acres. And at its peak, it had 1500 patients and 500 staff members. Um, it was made up of 63 or 64 buildings. So it was a really huge campus. Whoa. And it went by many names over the years. So it started as Ararat Asylum. I think it's probably pronounced differently in an Australian dialect. But any American I've heard say it was Ararat. I think it might be Ararat. Ararat, but the Ararat Asylum, the Ararat Hospital for the Insane, yikes, and Aradel or the Ararat Training Center. So it's had a few names. So it was built in Victoria, the town of Ararat, um, in 1864, and it was named after uh, the mountain where Noah's Ark comes to rest after the flood. Fun fact. Oh. Um, am I saying it right for the biblical people out there? Do you know, Christine? I think I'm... I actually have no idea. How do you how do you even spell that? A-R-A-R-A-T. Ararat. Oh, I think I've heard of that. Ararat? Yeah, that sounds right. I tried. I tried for the people out there, probably the people on Reddit who think I like don't know how to pronounce <laughs> anything. I certainly looked it up online and then I was getting a bunch of 
mixed answers because half the people had a different dialect than me. So I really don't know what's going on. Um, but anyway, so it was allegedly built by the patients themselves. Oh. Be- so it was like one of those situations where you're like building your own jail or digging your own grave. Didn't we talk about but- that once when we said like we would put like a secret passageway <laughs> inside it or something? Yeah. Like if you're building it, I mean, I'm sure it was not no. that easy, but like in an <laughs> ideal world, it's like, oh, well, I would just like build a car and drive away you know (laughs) i'll build a secret car inside this wall um exactly they'll never know (laughs) i don't know put a loose brick yeah i'm sure they were definitely very carefully monitored but just a thought i'm sure they all had that thought at some point while they were building it but (laughs) so in this case apparently that uh, it's still just allegedly because rumors say it's true but i think the reason they assume this is because the building actually opened uh, it opened two inmates before it was officially open. So there were like two years where construction was still going on around the hospital. And some inmates were already in certain buildings that had already been built up, but it hadn't officially been opened as a facility yet. So a lot of people think, oh, well, if, if there were inmates there two years before its official opening, they probably helped build. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. So, so they don't really know what the right answer is, but... Rumor is that they helped build the hospital. So there, uh, in 1866, it was officially built and it apparently had verandas and courtyards and it was supposed to look very, very beautiful and wonderful. Um, it was all self-contained. So it had its own market, its own gardens, its own livestock, Whoa. it had orchards, um, vineyards, and it had a morgue. Oh. Um, and fun fact, which isn't so fun, the morgue had a bunch of peppercorn trees outside of the building. I think there's still one that stands but the whole point was to disguise the smell of the morgue. <gasps> oh, man. Yeah. So the grounds were actually surrounded by, I think they were called ditch walls. Um, another site I saw where they were called haha walls. H-A-H-A, Ooh. haha walls. Um, they could also be called LOL walls. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, really? <sighs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> so um, apparently they're called ditch walls because they appear so if you're not um an inmate or a patient i keep saying inmate slash patient because this was also it later became part of a prison so that's why i keep saying oh okay um i'm sure that was really jarring for some people i don't think that patients are inmates Um, oh god but so uh they're called ditch walls actually weren't on the facility if you were in the general public looking at it then the gates around the building looked really low it just looked like a normal fence maybe but inside, oh. on the other side, it was actually a trench built around it. So the walls were much taller to the people inside. I see. Okay. That makes sense. So if you were like, and apparently this is really fucked up, but they did that for the aesthetic concern of the public, not necessarily for the patients. They just didn't want the public. Right. Sure. So it looks like, oh, they're not trapped in there. Exactly. It was like, apparently if you were outside the walls only looked like they were maybe three or four feet tall but if you were on the inside they were like 12 to 15 feet tall based on where you were so there was no climbing it makes sense so then the original back when the asylum opened it had 250 patients but um then only a couple years before or it was meant to hold 250 patients but then a couple years before another um hospital closed and all the patients had to get transferred here so then the population doubled so then they had to keep growing the buildings um and let's remember that this was the 1880s or 1890s so psychiatry was 
hot spanking new. Mm. And so there was only four types of mental illness back then, although now there's like 2,000 or something. So um, back then you either had one of these. You had dementia, melancholy, mania, or paranoia. What about hysteria? Is that not one of them? I think that wasn't considered like a psychiatry. I think that was like, I don't know where that falls. Maybe it was under, it fell under mania or something. Yeah, it was probably under one of them. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the four of these were like umbrella terms for any other condition and they just kind of deemed you one of the four. Right, right. Um, Like Harry Potter houses. (laughs) Exactly. Like if you're in dementia, maybe you're like Hufflepuff or I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. You get it, but the saddest. That's version. why I name my. That's what. That's why I name my um my my Tesla uh, melancholy. Where is this going? <laughs> I get it. I get it. I name. I love it. You know. You get it. It's very long. Do you want me to? I'll draw it out for you. I'll make you a chart later. Who would? Who would they be? Dementia, melancholy. I think none of them really like stand out as bravery or ambition. <laughs> no, I guess we really can't. Not. We can't align them with anyone. But anyway, so, um, but that being said, because there were only four types, that means, like, there was no difference between, like, having epilepsy or having schizophrenia. Like, there was just, you were just, if you came in manic, mm. or, like, assumingly, based on your symptoms, you were more manic than melancholy, right. then all of a sudden you had mania. Was so. epilepsy considered a mental illness? Oh, yeah. We're going to get into that. So, oh, and okay. also, because this was before the turn of the century, and psychiatry was so new that basically, if anything was wrong with you quote wrong with you then you would just go into an asylum so right, like if you burnt the pot roast three nights in a row then off off you go yeah uh, we will get into that don't you worry so uh there <laughs> also i feel like this shouldn't have to be said on a show called and that's why we drink but the asylum did not have many good conditions or any good treatments especially given the time when psychology was so new um so some of the treatments included a lack, and these are just some of the lighter ones, but a lack of privacy, uh, denial of basic care, such as dentistry. So a lot of people who were there long enough ended up missing teeth. Um, mm. There was insufficient food, even though there was actually like a bounty of food, but the staff would literally just take it off of the, like, take all boxes of them home for themselves. So Oh, geez. It was like around 50% of food that came to the hospital, the staff would take home. So. Wow. Insufficient food. And also remember, this is like a garden and an orchard and everything, and they're still getting insufficient food. Like they're not getting to eat. Um, Damn. Also, there were restraint bags, strapped chairs, um, isolation cages. There were straight jackets. And then there was also communal underpants. What? Where you would have to share underwear with people. And I'm guessing, I didn't see any more information on that, but I'm guessing they weren't always clean. I would think probably not. Oh my god. Yeah. Especially since the the staff didn't seem to really care about them. And there were, you know, whispers of abuse. So I'm imagining nobody was cleaning this underwear. You just wore whatever you got. Yikes. Um, That being said, they really thought that they were turn of the century when it came to mental health awareness because they also did things like moral treatment which in the 1800s was like a big um i don't know what the right word is i'm like totally blanking but it was like a form of like reform at the time where like you would give them trades and responsibilities and that would kind of teach them to be independent and then they could leave earlier so just like how a lot of the old hospitals i've talked about how they had um like gardens and 
um, a little store or sewing stations where people could learn a trade and then it helps them. It's like uh, like rehabilitation kind of sort of. Yeah, exactly. That's the I was I could not figure out the word rehabilitation. (laughs) Um, Clearly, I couldn't either until just this very second. So don't worry. So anyway, that's why they had the garden and the vineyards and all that, because they, everyone had kind of a, a job to their responsibility to keep the place running. So, right, right. But let's not forget, like, how horrible their treatment was. And the things I just listed were kind of not as terrible as the rest. Mm. So let, I'll get into it in a second. But let's just say that, like, there's obviously, like, electroshock therapy and things like that. So... Roughly a third of the patients that entered the asylum would never be released was a a terrible statistic. And just like how you said earlier, if you, you know, burned your husband's food three times a week, then (laughs) that would be enough reason to get put away. Some of the reasons people got put away were obscene language. Oh, by the way, only women, obscene language, drunk and disorderly. Um, depression and i'm already i'm already done i'm, I'm in <laughs> oh bye the second i saw obscene language i was like well here i fucking go <laughs> um drunkenness orderly depression alcoholism and uh obviously homosexuality that was actually you know a thing until like the 70s in many asylums right um so or mental hospitals and so uh, sadly a lot of the um a lot of the women that were charged so it gets muddled between like were were they there for mental illness or were they there as a as a criminal um but really any reason at all someone could be put away and one of the things that most women were charged with and why they got sent there was for stealing baby clothes because they couldn't afford them (gasps) for their babies oh my god and a lot of people who ended up here they hadn't even done anything wrong. They just found themselves dependent on the state. And so they ended up getting put here as housing. Wow. So, and then they started, uh, so a lot of men, if they had friends that worked there and they just like didn't want their wife around anymore, they would literally just pay off their oh friends to find a reason to keep them there. So, oh my God. So there was a lot of truly mentally unstable people. There were a lot of um, people charged with petty crimes. There were people who were just homeless and needed a place to be. There were women whose husbands rejected them. And then it also began including children as young as 12. Jesus. For no reason, just like, oh, we don't have space in the orphanages and then kids (gasps) would end up there. So it was a potluck of everything except straight white men. So um, And then one big pair of underwear for everyone to use. (laughs) And exactly and so um let's see so one woman in general because i said earlier that a lot of women were charged with stealing baby clothes um there's one case i just wanted to give an example that in 1864 one woman named ellen jenkins she was charged with having no lawful means of support for her children so literally she just got charged with not being able to support her family so she got in prison for three months and so she oh got put away for three months with her children. So even her children oh my got, God. got incarcerated for this. And then a few years later when she was, I guess she was charged with the same thing. And so she got sentenced to another three months. And then they sentenced the girls to uh, like, a, like a boarding school. And the boy, her son, was sentenced to four years. Jesus so it's like, it literally is just like, we need to put you somewhere. And for the most part, I don't think it was necessarily orphans when kids were welcomed in, but it was that like, their mothers were right. put away. And then there was nowhere, no one else could take the kids. And so they just started 
incarcerating the children with their mom. So the moms would still be responsible to take care of them. So many people chose to escape this life through, quote, the bridge, which was a suicide walk on the upper story walkway. Um, I'll talk a little more about the ghosts later, but I will say that for if you're ever walking near the bridge, a lot of people will still feel their arms and legs being pulled back or pushed towards as if they're trying to help you or maybe maybe they think by pushing you over the edge they're helping you so i just got mega goose cam so one of the worst statistics arguably is that to be let into this building you only needed two signatures from people to have you committed but you needed eight people to agree that you were worthy of being signed out holy so if you didn't know eight people if eight people didn't like you if eight people who didn't like you on the outside could like pay off their friends on the inside you were just stuck oh my it's like God. you could not get out and so the average stay time was 23 years <gasps> the average time Holy which by shit. the way is 50 t- 54 times more than the acceptable world health organization standard whoa 50 how many 50 54 times so the the standard is 150 days and the average was 23 years whoa holy crap so in 1887 the nearby jail it was called the goldfield jail because this was all after the gold rush there um the jail Mm -hmm. there merged with the asylum and that's why it became um a jail and uh, a hospital so on the same property there were criminals mixing with people with mental health problems mixing with like women who literally just had shitty husbands And so petty criminals and the, quote, criminally insane were housed together in what became the J Ward. And so the J Ward was the the jail that they bought out and ended up using on their property. It became the J Ward, which was their maximum security section for the criminally insane. Okay. Um, So near the J Ward were also the family cells where the incarcerated women would live with their children. They literally had family cells. Because family cells. Jesus. Yeah. So the so the women that were either inmates or patients there could still c- take care of their children. Um, throughout all of this, there were only three, only, yikes, three executions that took place at the prison. But considering there were thousands of people who stayed here over the years, only three people were killed intentionally by... Uh, by the staff there and they were buried in unmarked unconsec- unconsecrated graves on the property because they were apparently there for murder Oof. and so they didn't let them have christian burials wow so um another death there was in 1886 his name was george and he was the governor of the prisoner um and he was at the facility one day and died of a heart attack um before we keep going i do want to mention uh one patient that was there, or I guess one inmate, because he was in the J Ward. Um, he lived in the J Ward for 64 years. Um, <gasps> he was... What? Because he shot a man over a cigarette. So <gasps> he refused to confess or talk to police. He wouldn't speak. They just declared him insane. They were just like, well, you're not talking, so you must be insane. What the frick? Okay. And he was deemed a ward, quote, of the governor at the governor's pleasure, 
So that basically means that if you're deemed a ward of the governor at the governor's pleasure, it means that there is no minimum or maximum sentence to you being put away. It's just you get to be released when the governor decides that you were cured. Oh, my God. And the governor apparently didn't like him because Bill lived there for 64 years until he died at 107. Are you freaking kidding with me? Yeah. I'm not. 107. Yeah. Wow. And he went in when he was, I think, 46 or something like that. So that's 40-something. But, like, I mean, your whole life is just over because the governor didn't like you for for the most part. Um, So apparently Bill loved to smoke and he loved wearing suits. And apparently on the property, since they had so many little businesses that were ran by the patients, they had a suit shop. And so he would go there a lot for his suits. Um, he was a proper gentleman, except he was pro- he could be provoked into violence if someone was rude. So he, he pretty much was like, I'm a good person unless someone's mean, and then I <laughs> will literally kill them. So um, oh <laughs> there was a quote about him saying that if provoked, Mr. Wallace was said to be fully capable of kicking one's head off. Oh, and at age 100, by the way, this will be me at 100 because this was me at like 18. I've literally done this, which I'm not proud of. But uh, one inmate asked uh, Bill, he was 100 years old, and then an inmate said like, oh, are you going to eat that last piece of bread on your plate? And before he let Bill answer, he was already reaching for his food. And Bill stabbed him with a fork. And I definitely did that to a few of my friends at Waffle House in high school. If they came near my waffles a little too close, I just kind of got them. Yep, so yep. I'm going to I'm gonna definitely be him at 100 because I've already, I'm already there. Yeah, that's already, so, that's, you've already made it. Congratulations. I'll throw you a birthday party later. Thank you. I'm not proud of it, but I, I have to admit it before I say this, you know, to the public. And then my friends text me saying like, you've literally fucking done that to me. So I'm just owning it. How dare you? It's true. I will attest. I will attest. (laughs) Just don't touch my food. So um, the staff actually really fell in love with Bill Wallace. And he was like kind of protective of the officers there, even though he was an inmate. And they even bought him a chess set for his 100th birthday. And when the public caught wind of this, they were like, wait a minute, a 100 year old is living in your jail. Like, and so they did a whole bunch of petitioning to get him released by the governor. But when he was allowed to leave, he still stayed for four more years. He was like, I like living here. I mean, I guess at that point, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do at 103? And yeah. you've been there your whole life. Probably all the people you knew before have probably passed if you're, the, you know, that old at this exactly. point. So uh, from the 40s to the 70s, the hospital begins using electroshock therapy oh. because that I think came out in 35 or something like that. But both of them, the electroshock therapy and my least favorite in the world, the transorbital lobotomy, no. both came out only uh, maybe like five years beforehand. And so since that was the peak of psychiatry, they were like, well, we got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, so there's a few different types of lobotomies. Oh All God. are terrible. All are terrible. But the one that people hear the most is transorbital yeah and oh my god it's so bad it's like the freakiest horriblest thing so i didn't add this to my notes but i do want to bring it up because i had to read it so you have to listen so i was trying to i I thought i would do like a whole little bit about like 
um, like the history of lobotomies just because I've never covered that yet. But I might cover it later as like its own topic because there was so much on it. No, I will not be there. I will not be there that day. Thank you. So I'm not going to I just want to talk about one person, the person who created the transorbital lobotomy personally. So it started in the 30s and a Swiss psychiatrist was like, oh, I figured out this way where if if i cut someone's fucking skull open and pour ethanol Mm. into it it'll like kill some of the fibers and like that Mm -hmm. was the first lobotomy ever i think it was called like a lacrotomy it wasn't a not lacroix lobotomy it was (laughs) (laughs) it was something like that it wasn't necessarily a lobotomy but then there was after him there was another guy who you know upped the ante and then there was this italian guy um, who was like, oh, I have this one called the transorbital lobotomy, and this is going to be like the peak of science. And so mm-hmm. basically it was, you keep in mind, without consent and with no anesthesia and very low success, they thought that the best way to solve a lot of mental illness back then was to take an ice pick and a sledgehammer mm-hmm. and hammer the ice pick into your tear duct and uh, then... In theory, you would, you know, poke around and damage the the parts of the the frontal lobe that are causing uh, mania or depression or anything like that. So terrible. Yeah. Well, actually, there's a really good episode. I mean, good quote unquote episode on dude that's fucked up about lobotomies and and I think one in lore. And for some reason, I listened to both of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it would like you know disengage a lot of that behavior and so people were like it works because you're literally damaging people's brains right but some people (laughs) did request that like some people did request them willingly like they were like i would like to have that to like end my you know mental illness or whatever well so maybe you've heard of this then because you listen to those other episodes which like i couldn't get into this beyond like a quick google search but the reason it I say non-consent is because the very first ones were tested on. So the guy who created the transorbital lobotomy, he would travel around the country and yeah. demonstrate for people oh, on their own patients without their consent by saying like, oh, we've got this new idea and it's going to help you. And then without being told what was going to happen, mm. they, he would just. But like the whole argument, the way he advertised it was it's like a 10 minute procedure and it's free because it was brand new. And so they were like, oh, a 10-minute procedure for no money that's going to help me. Yeah, I want to do it. And then before they realized what was going on, they right. were held down. And but, uh, <laughs> apparently at some point he got so cocky with it that he started doing both eyes at the same time mm-hmm. and allowing nurses with even less training than him to do the hammering. It was really terrible. It's like so – like I'm sweating so much. It's horrible. It's horrible. So anyway, the yeah, it's terrible. So that became like – the hot thing so then that was going on electroshock therapy was going on um and then they started trying to not do electroshock therapy because they heard that that was a terrible way to induce seizures and so then they tried to give people this chemical that was going to induce seizure without having to do electroshock therapy and then they realized that was bad so they went back to electroshock therapy it's a a whole mess it's a real nightmare anyway the conditions were terrible um although they were advanced for the time so from the 70s to the 1990s the number of staff um increased dramatically but the conditions were slowly getting worse Mm. and by 1991 there were allegations of sexual abuse physical abuse theft and quote unprofessional medical procedures and when they ended up investigating all this many of the allegations were found to be true so by 1997 the last buildings of the hospital 
were transferred out, all the patients were transferred out, and the hospital was closed by 1998. And it lasted 130 years. And even though there were only three executions, um, 13,000 people died there. So that's about 100 people a year. 13,000. 100 Jesus. people a year died there. And they were all, I guess... I don't exactly know the list of or the way that they all died because only three of them were execution, but still 100 people a year. That's pretty wild. Um, in 1997 through 2001, they did some renovations on the building. And then afterwards, the building became the Melbourne Polytechnic. And it opened as a campus as part of the property. It became part of the college campus. And it was used more for agricultural studies. And it's still used... 30 acres of the vineyards and the olive orchards and lavender fields, um, specifically for those students. Um, wow. And now there's a volunteer group called the Friends of J Ward, which actually they won an award recently last year for having like a really well-maintained museum of the history. Um, and they still conduct daily tours of all the places, including the gallows, the exercise yard, and the main cell block, um, as well as the hospital itself. But they mainly focus on j ward i think you only get to see the hospital from a distance whereas you get to hear about the j the j ward and walk through the rooms right um and then last year they also opened a time capsule from 1994 when they were in the midst of closing and they found newspaper clippings some video footage of court hearings a straight jacket from when it was open um yeah so that's the the latest news there. So anyway, now here are just the ghosts. I'm sorry that was so long. No, but I mean, it's so fascinating and disturbing. It's I just yeah, wanted to do it justice. Know. And it's probably argue that this is one of the locations that our Australians have wanted to hear about for a while. So oh, sure. I wanted to give it some justice. Well, I mean, we say this a lot, too. But like, there's ghosts come from somewhere. So I think it's the context is important, too. Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. So... Anyway, so some of the ghosts, there's one guy named Gary Webb, and apparently he was a patient there known for um, several cases of self-mutilation. He hurt himself at least 70 times, and he ended up dying later. It was, like, really, really drastic self-mutilation. It wasn't kind of like the, the normal stuff. It was really him trying to hurt himself as badly as possible, and he died by swallowing razor blades. Um. So he was the, I would argue, the most traumatic death um, on the campus. Um, He was also buried on the property. So a lot of people say that they, when they're near his cell, they will hear him yelling, get out, or they'll hear him crying. I mean, it's really fucking sad. So it's not really as scary as it is sad. Um, A lot of the reports I saw were people just saying that they feel like a sad heaviness, which how on earth can you blame that like i mean sure that makes total sense um also george the governor of the jail who had a heart attack apparently people when they're near where he died they will feel a tightness in their chests and they will hear footsteps walking around and like i guess he had these really specific boots and so his footsteps were really distinct and you can hear them walking around the same area where he passed away I said earlier in 1997 to 2001 that they were doing renovations uh, in the building, and a lot of workers complained about poltergeist activity, which included uh, they were missing a lot of tools, they would hear voices, they would hear loud bangs, and then objects would move, and the doors would open and close by themselves. And, like, people just wouldn't miss this with their eyes. 
Um, there was also, which is interesting, apparently if you were a worker there and you worked there for longer than like 10 hours a day, whatever energy was there would like leech onto you. And so people would report no feeling things following them home. And on top of it, there was very, very, very light possession tendencies because, uh, because <laughs> very mild, don't worry, as a mild case of possession. And so, um, <laughs> but a lot of the workers, if you were there long enough, all of a sudden, they started acting out of character and people who worked there, but were even friends outside of work, they were getting into huge fistfights and screaming at each other for nothing. Um, oh my god! There were also it's like when Zach Bagans starts getting like really hostile and like punching the walls. Yeah, except they were punching each other. Oh <laughs> uh, well, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exactly like that when he's like, "I don't feel good. I don't feel good," and then he's like screaming all of a sudden. There's something taking a hold of me. <laughs> right, and then he looks really intense, and Aaron's like, "I want to leave." <laughs> he's like, "I want to go home," and he's like, "Good, because I'm sending you into the basement." So exactly. Goodbye. When he's when he, all of a sudden, he's like, Aaron, I just want to choke your entire fucking body. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally, I want to murder you and to slit you into pieces. And he's like, okay, well, this has gone too far. <laughs> anyway, love you, ZB. <laughs> he's like, well, my paycheck better be bigger next week. <laughs> um, so during renovations, also, people were claiming that they were seeing nurses in white uniforms and they were hearing moaning, footsteps, crying and whispering. Apparently, there was a, a regular nurse um, named Nurse Carrie. Uh, oh, Carrie. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. So Carrie, apparently, um, she is seen staring at people from down the hallway, which is very Stephen King. No, thank you. Apparently, she's actually a really nice spirit, and she has people have made contact with her in the past. And so she's answered people's questions, saying that she's still there looking after the patients whose souls never left. Oh. And she said that she hates the men in her area and i was like (laughs) well carrie you're one in a million i except not everyone (laughs) agrees with you um but so she doesn't seem to like men a lot i think if women are alone in her space then she's usually kinder to them and with men they feel like they're being stared at or they're they're less safe uh let's see also nurses like i said nurses have been seen and heard and also women's high heels and humming and singing have been heard in the men's ward, that's a- allegedly where the most dangerous patients stayed. And so that is where the darkest energy is. And so a lot of people have seen dark shadows. They felt themselves getting touched, grabbed, bitten, scratched, pushed, and they've even felt themselves being suffocated. <gasps> um, people have seen black clouds show themselves by the ceiling in pictures. So in a picture, you'll take a picture and the ceiling looks like a normal ceiling. And then apparently black clouds that look like thick ink will show oh. up. Um, people experience dizziness, nausea, and headaches, as well as weird smells, electrical malfunctions. Um, they'll see shadow people walking up and down the halls. People have seen, um, uh, they've seen patients in gowns, in medical gowns. And they've also, I only saw this on one article, but apparently someone has seen the figure of a woman being beaten over the head in the (gasps) kitchen. What the fuck? Uh, there was one investigative team that went to the J ward and someone was bitten on their neck when they were looking at the straight jackets. <gasps> and an, at the, I think in that same, on that same team, one of the investigators was possessed and like straight up possessed, like Zach Bagans possessed. Oh no. Where, um, apparently a bunch of the investigators around her felt like they were being pushed or grabbed beforehand. And then all of a sudden she became unresponsive and she did the straight up like eyes rolling in the back of her head shit. And oh my God. 
she was and then they like they left the room or they left the space and she kind of came back to her normal self but she was not in a good place and um also at one point there was a superintendent that allegedly died by suicide by drinking acid and so now Mm. when people go into that superintendent's office they'll have a bad taste in their mouth um one guy actually this is probably my favorite one this one guy stayed the night and slept in one of the cells with the cell door wide open no the cell door wide open because he was the only one he was the only one with the keys to that cell in his pocket and so he was like i'm gonna keep it open i don't want to get locked in um he asked for the spirits to like make a noise or do something and he was like really like harassing not harassing them but he was very clear in what he wanted Mm -hmm. and nothing happened so he eventually gave up and went to sleep but when he woke up the next morning his cell door was closed and locked from the outside oh boy and he was the only one with keys in his pocket so he got stuck in there (laughs) and so he had to call someone to let him out oh my god there's also this is going to be your least favorite thing i ever say um great you already talked about lobotomy so i literally can't imagine how it could get worse but okay go ahead well this place is privy to doppelgangers (gasps) um who apparently look like the people you came investigating with and they will try to lure you into the j ward or the men's wing which is the most dangerous area they'll try to lure you in by yourself because oh let's God. say it's you, me, and Eva on an investigation. Right. Let's say you don't know where me or Eva are. And all of a sudden, I come out from, like, by the by the dangerous area. And, like, you can kind of see me from afar saying, you have to come over here. Eva's hurt. And then you don't see Eva, but you hear Eva's voice acting like it's hurt. Oh, God. So apparently that happens a lot where they'll, like, use two of the people you came with. And they'll both try to, like, persuade you to, like, go away by yourself. Holy shit. Um, that got that has got to take like a lot of energy too for two spirits oh, or yeah, like a to spirit like, to create that much of a of a situation like physically. Ugh, yeah, it's also like kind of like like teetering onto the line of mental torture and we know I hate that shit. So, um but yeah, like if all this and then so apparently that's happened to at least one group. I read in, in one article that this happened and when she she felt like something was wrong, so she didn't go forward, and she didn't, like, go see what was wrong, and then went to another room, and both those people were in the room, like, being like, yeah, co. Ugh. People Run. have been pushed into walls. People's legs become immobile, so, like, people have also dealt with, like, being, like, like temporarily paralyzed. There was one medium who met a spirit named Marie who was, quote, shy, but told me she died in an experimental procedure. She had half her head shaved and was in a gown. Holy and in this in this situation uh the same medium tried to help marie go to the light i think her name was amanda uh i think her name was amanda Wright. amanda i i really shouldn't have written it down i think her name was amanda though um she wrote a really good article about how she was trying to help this one spirit go to the light but this is a quote from from that article of her experience trying to help marie cross over I could, and this is pretty wild, I could feel a hand firmly on my wrist, stones and large rocks were flung at me, and some were actually hitting me as I was praying, so I prayed harder and louder, and coins were also thrown at me. I could hear screaming and loud bangs on the autopsy table, and I went into meditation mode and kept saying the Lord's Prayer, asking my guides to help take Marie back home with her loved ones. 
All of a sudden, in the middle of the autopsy room, a massive light opened up in the ceiling. (gasps) Marie and several other spirits went straight through the light, but I felt physically sick after the portal closed. And when I got up to leave the autopsy room, this black mass stood at the door. Oh, my God. I could hear a distinct growl, and the black mass was gone after deep prayer. So, like... (gasps) Whoa. yikes if you if you type in the aridel asylum asylum medium or marie i'm sure you'll be able to find it but i'm pretty sure her name was amanda um just want to give her some credit even though i like did that so half-assedly um also people especially mediums uh, across the board have said that they are if they're by the peppercorn tree they will still smell death um Oof. next to the tree even though like no one no one's bodies are you know, rotting there anymore, but they will still smell the haunting smells of it. Oof. People have also fainted or been thrown across rooms. People have felt hands pushing on them. They've felt cold breezes in offices. They've heard banging on the isolation cell walls. Apparently photos will show um, faces in them. If you ask someone to like be in a picture with you, Ooh. all of a sudden will be a face or a figure. Um, in the electroshock therapy ward, cell doors will move on their own, and there's sounds of furniture scraping the floor when there's no furniture. In the children's ward, you'll still hear giggling. Ugh. Um, people have gotten hundreds of EVPs, but one of the most popular is hearing men saying, hey. Again, there's female singing, female humming, electronics will malfunction, and the last quote I have is from the electrotherapy ward, and, uh... It was someone saying, quote, I got a tingling sensation on one half of my head in one of the rooms. And later I found out that was the shock therapy. So one of the biggest complaints people have when they walk into those rooms before knowing they're there is um, migraines and like splitting headaches and tingling on their body. A lot of people claim that and then find out later it was the electroshock room. That's chilling. Oh, I feel like I flew through that because I'm aware like we're already like so like deep in time but anyway that is the aridel mental hospital i just wanted to cover as much as i could but whoa that was a good one thank you i feel like i don't ever really get to do like some like super duper hauntings anymore i feel like i've already found all that material so when i find a really good one it's like really exciting i know i love like just the classic like insane asylum or like uh penitentiaries all those very classic hauntings yeah 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 Anyway, there it is. I hope I did Australia a little proud. Lovely. I'm sure you did. And interestingly enough, actually, Em, we did it again because my story is from New Zealand this week. Shut up. Look at us go. I know. And I mean, obviously, I'm fully aware they're not the same to everybody from New Zealand and Australia. But, you know, they're, <laughs> uh, I, they're, I don't think I've covered uh, many New Zealand stories. So this is, um, you know, it's kind of a weird coincidence, I would say. That sounds, I would love to go to both. I've never been to either, but I would love to go to both. Me neither. Well, Eva was very excited when she heard what I was covering because she spent some time in New Zealand and it was like her favorite place in the world. And every time I see her photos, I'm like, holy crap. It is beautiful. It's so pretty. Yeah, it is. And Blaze's sister is there actually right now. And when the whole Corona and she's um, in college studying abroad and when the whole Corona thing, you know, happened, um, they they weren't sure whether to like bring her back or leave her there. And so she's still down there. Um, and they've like extended student visas, I guess, to people who were oh wow stuck there. But it, it's one of the like the safest places. So they decided to keep her there for the time being. But she loves it too. So shout out to New Zealand. Oh yeah. I guess I should say what I'm covering. I'm covering the Bain family murders today. 
ooh, I don't know what that is, but I in a I was gonna say I love a good family murder, but that's not what I meant to say. <laughs> I it just sounds wildly intriguing to me, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's definitely like a big case. Um, I actually did not know much about it either, so I was very entrenched in this for a while. But um, I'm just going to jump right in. So this takes place in June of 1994, um, and there's this family called the Bain family. And they were gathering that day at their family home, which was on uh, the address was 65 Every Street, which, oh. you know. Sure. That's clever, I guess. Um, 65 Every Street. Their house was described by uh, like their neighbors and people who knew them as dilapidated from hoarding and collecting. Oh. Um, let's just say they had kind of a they were in kind of a bad place. The mom and dad, their marriage was falling apart. Um, the mom was like extremely controlling and the dad was very like reserved and it grew into this really toxic situation. Um, there was like known to be trash throughout the whole house. Like the kids weren't going to school. Like it was just a very, it was leading up to a bad situation. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So anyway, Robin is the father. He's 58 years old. He's a principal at a small school down the coast. And um, he had actually been living at the school during the work week and then um, an RV or like a caravan uh, in the backyard amidst like all the trash that was out there. Wow. So it was like it was so bad that they were living not even in their own home. Well, so he was living there. Um, she was living in the house and with the kids and he didn't live at home anymore. He lived like outside. I see. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so. Gotcha. OK. Still equally very bad situation. But yeah, he was um, basically living at the school during the week. And then on the weekends, he would live in his own kind of RV or camper or caravan out back um, in the backyard. So he was described as the dad as disheveled. Um, he didn't really take care of personal hygiene, that kind of thing. And then uh, Margaret is the mother, so she's 50, and she's a homemaker. She's a devout New Ageist, like super heavily influenced by Christianity, um, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but Margaret and Robin's marriage was like pretty much in tatters. Um, she had planned to, she was planning to move the family into a nice townhouse without him and kind of leave him behind. She was like really deep, deeply entrenched in this kind of new agey Christianity situation. Um, she was constantly exercising evil from people. Oh, my goodness. I know. And places and even food. Um, <gasps> sh I know. How dare you call food evil? <laughs> no such thing. Um, she had she believed she had a direct line to God. And so she had this like power over other people. She anytime they were going like on a trip, she would exercise, exorcise, to be clear, the uh, the family van. She called the evil spirits Belial. Do you know what that word is? Oh, I'm not going to say yes, because I'll look stupid for the for what I think. I Just go for it. <laughs> I mean, you're probably right. I didn't really know. But um, apparently it's the personification of Satan in the Hebrew Bible. OK, um, it sounds like um, it's. It sounds like a Beelzebub. Yeah, it sounds like a like a shorter like a different version of that. So yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. I think it's probably. I would imagine it's probably similar. I think I, I assumed it when you asked what I thought it was. All I was going to say it's a demon because I wasn't sure which one, but it definitely sounds like a demon name. Yes, exactly. And so she took it upon herself to basically call all the evil spirits Belial and. 
she so she had these dire entries that were crazy so she believed the food and the house were all contaminated with belial like these demons and she actually in her diary shortened it to bell like she gave the demons a nickname literally Ew. <laughs> because she used the word so fucking often that she gave it its own nickname so you know whatever i'm just thinking of like beauty and the beast yes. now but now it's like a demon and a beast yeah she would <laughs> she would like call it a cutesy nickname she'd be like bell is everywhere it's like what the oh yeah now i'm just imagining like if someone is this good at animation can someone just like take bell out of the opening part of beauty and the beast and put like a demon in a little french town singing about the day (laughs) i feel like our uh requests for animation are getting so wild like they just get weirder and weirder each week can someone at at least put up a picture of a demon with like the background music of like there she goes that bell oh for god's sake (laughs) um i accidentally just closed out sorry here it is it's okay we were on beauty and the beast i'll fill you in um so (laughs) there's a demon lives in france Uh um is about to find out that she's evenly matched with another beast uh, if you see. will. One one from hell and one on earth. And then they have fisticuffs is what they do. Fisticuffs, but there is like a giant candle, right? That runs around and dances a little bit. On- only when paired with a clock. Yes, it's a weird a magical hybrid. Shake. Yes. Got it. Okay, good. And it's it's all a happy ending, right? Because it's Disney. Oh, that I'm not sure about. Uh, oh, I, I oh, prefer no. no. I would like, I I want it to be a little more gossipy than the rest of them. Well, I've got a spoiler. It's not a good ending. I will tell you oh. that much. So great oh boy i hate myself <laughs> what why because i was like oh yay and then i was like oh no there's actually a murder that comes up okay never mind oh see i think i thought we were still talking about my story and um and i was like does em really think it's gonna end well like it's not <laughs> no i just really hope that at some point when it gets too sad you can throw in like the fact that there's a dancing candle and just kind of lighten everyone's spirits um, we could try, but it hasn't really worked in the past. Um, so I can't <laughs> promise anything. Um, fair, fair. So, you know, I'm glad we're having fun now, as we like to say, because it's not going to get fun for right. a while. <laughs> okay, the fun's over. <laughs> fun's over, everyone. Stop laughing. Okay. So she also ranked the family by like how much Bell or Belial they had in them. And she believed her oldest son, David, had the least amount and her husband, Robin, had the most. So I know they had four kids. The oldest was David and he was 22. Um, He, for work, delivered newspapers and he also sang opera with a local opera troupe. He and his mom were super close, but he and his dad did not get along. Uh, He, like his mother, was also extremely controlling with his sisters, um, according to their friends. And uh, he had actually dropped out of university, but he returned to study music theory and voice. So he was like heavily into the musical world. Then the next oldest was Arawa and she was 19 and she was training to be a teacher and she was, you know, pretty mild mannered, pretty close with her family. And then the third child was Lanyette, and she was 18 and she Ooh, sounds like sounds like Lumiere. It does, doesn't it, though? Yeah. Yeah, there, there's I'm a just, connection. I'm just there. trying to let there be fun. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you, um, <laughs> Lenette. I think that's how you say it, Bane. Uh, so she is 18, and she was pretty troubled. Um, she had returned to their home, but she had like she had defended her dad pretty regularly, and that did not go over well with the rest of the family. 
Um, And so she had moved out and was working as a sex worker and was, according to friends, using drugs as well. So she was um, struggling with drugs, uh, with a drug addiction or at least like a dependency. Um, And she had so they were meeting for this meeting. I don't know if I said that at the beginning, but so they were all coming back to the house for the meeting. She was no longer living there, but she was um, she was back. And then the youngest is Stephen. He was 14 and he was also musically talented like his brother um he so they were all there gathering for like a a family meeting and in the that evening robin the dad he went back to his van in the backyard and lynette um the only one who wasn't living at home at the time decided to stay the night and she uh stayed overnight in her old childhood bedroom which was now a study and uh that's kind of the beginning like setting the scene quote unquote and um okay now the the I'm gonna give you kind of like a timeline of what happened and and this um this timeline is like factual. This is like the the hard co- hard cold facts that we have, and then it okay. kind of turns into like speculation and theory. Got it. So June twentieth of nineteen ninety four at five thirty a.m. David, who's the oldest son, um, his alarm goes off and he has he delivers papers um, for a living. So he goes out in his paper route and um, he did complete his. Uh, paper route because everyone on the route received their papers uh 6 30 a.m robin so the dad's um alarm in his caravan is set to go off at 6 45 a.m a neighbor sees david returning home from his paper route with his yellow bag at 7 a.m 15 minutes later another neighbor wakes up to the sound of a barking dog and then at nine minutes later at 709 david calls 111 which is new zealand's you know uh, equivalent of 911 mm-hmm and um, he calls 911 or 111 in a panic. And I will say this. So I watched a YouTube video on um, a channel. Her name is Danelle Hallen. And I, I hadn't heard of her before, but she's like, I guess, very popular on YouTube telling true crime stories. Um, and so a lot of that was from here. But so she played the actual call, um, which always kind of disturbs me. But he calls the um, the emergency line and he's just kind of sputtering and he's 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 yelling they're all dead they're all dead and so yeah it's very chilling to hear um and so at some point in the next 10 minutes the ambulance arrives but they don't make entry yet they wait for the police who come at 7 33 and the police start knocking on the door um but they don't hear an answer and like nobody's coming to the door but they know that david had called from that address so finally they like knock the door in and go inside and they find david in a locked bathroom and he refuses to open the door like they're not sure if it's fear or shock or what but he's um, behind the door and they ask him to to open up and he says no Hmm. and they're like okay and so they say so he doesn't open the door until the police ask where's your father so then he opens the door and he points to a room across the hall and then just has like, and then just completely breaks down and starts weeping. Whew, so Jesus, that's, that's the the opening opening scene, and it just gets worse. So I apologize. Okay. No, and also, rem- sorry, reminder that so the oldest son is the one that was least ranked to have Satan inside of him, and the yes. dad is most likely correct according to margaret yes 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 so okay. um and then which by the way is a, a great way to rank your family members <laughs> no, we should I know. start doing that with each other <laughs> geo has the most in him um thousand percent and i have the least oh, okay well i thought rank- you weren't including ranking. yourself or else geo would be second but yes okay sure you know what 
you're right. I shouldn't include myself because I don't have any, so I won't even make it into the ranking. <laughs> don't worry. I'm just going to keep myself out of it. Perfect. Keep your head low. Um, <laughs> so, so that's right. Exactly. So David, um, who's in the bathroom, he was the one that Margaret had ranked as um, the least sure. evil, I suppose. Okay. So speaking of Margaret, she was found first. She was found in her bed, um, and she had been shot in the forehead. <sighs> And she Yikes. was dead. Um, then they found Arwa, who is the 19-year-old. And she had been found in her bedroom, also shot in the forehead. Um, and she had actually been found kneeling. Uh, and they believed it had been either her praying or begging before her death. So she had been awake, essentially. when this terrifying. Okay. Yeah. So then they found Lynette. She was in her former bedroom. Um, and she had been shot twice in the head as well. And at first, they couldn't find Stephen, who's the 14-year-old, the youngest. But they realized that a door in uh, Margaret's room, the mom's, that they thought was a closet, was actually a door into, like, another separate room. And that's where Stephen's room was. So they eventually found Stephen, and and he was um, laying on the ground. There had been a clearly a struggle. Um, he had a He had a wound or a bullet wound through his hand as if he had put his hand up um hmm. when somebody shot at him he had uh, a head wound that showed he had fought his attacker he had been partially strangled with the t-shirt he was wearing mm. and then finally he had been shot fatally in the head and so there was oh my god yeah it was a very violent bloody scene in his room and then finally they found robin so the father and he was discovered in the lounge or the living room and he had been shot in the head with david's rifle at his side and so robin's body was the warmest and it appeared to have been shot last for that reason and they believed it had been um he had been killed within the last hour wow so they go back to david and they're like this is what we found and he has this like epic breakdown he begins like violently shaking they they think at first he's having a seizure um and then he yeah and he falls like kind of between the bed and the wall and so they're like trying to hoist him up but they notice that while he's shaking his body is shaking his eyes are like completely normal which isn't typical for when you're having a seizure and you're not in control of your body sure um so they're like that's strange and uh the ambulance came said all his levels were normal and then he kind of went unconscious seemingly but his reflexes were those of someone who was conscious and so they kind of determined he seemed to be faking a a seizure and then um being unconscious for whatever reason so they were like well we don't know what he's doing but we don't think this is like actually uh, something fishy's going on a seizure right exactly so they bring him into the station and they're like we're we're gonna record this because he's acting like really erratically um and we want to make sure everything's kind of recorded so he continues to yell at the station, they're all dead, which is what he had said on the 911 or the 111 call, excuse me. Mm. Um, but then he starts going off about black hands and he's like, the black hands are coming to get me. The black hands took my family. What? And um, they're like, we don't know what the fuck he's talking about. And anytime they ask for more clarification, he's not giving it to them. And then finally, he just keeps asking for his glasses. He needs his glasses to see because he can't see anything. So they find the glasses in his room. But one of the lenses is missing. Hmm. And they're like, that's strange. Um, And so they they collect the glasses. And while searching the house, they find that the family's computer uh, was on. It had been turned on. And there are words written on the computer screen. And the words say, 
Sorry, you are the only one who deserved to stay. <gasps> yeah. What? Okay. Yeah, it's just... Sorry, this is this is spooky ooky, Christine. Isn't it fucking creepy? I, like, started researching, like, so I, so I had done the research, but then I was like, I'm going to watch just, like, this, like, this Danelle girl. She does this cute, like, she's just, like, very fun to watch and, like, easy to listen to. So I'm like, I'm just going to watch this last night. And then I got, like, 20 minutes in. And I was like, I need to save this for the morning because it's <laughs> too spooky. Yeah. Um. So... I watch Community instead. Uh, so, yeah, it's very spooky stuff. Um, so they find this, like, text on the screen. Also, ask me, like, let me know if you have questions. I feel like I'm going, like, ultra quick and... Uh, no, no, no. I don't want it to No, don't go, don't go quick. This, this is good. Anything. This is juicy. <laughs> it, is, it is juicy, yes. This is the, the hot goss. The hot goss, if you will, from 1994. We're finally catching up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that sounds about right. Uh, so they find the words on the computer and because they think Robin, the dad had been shot last, they, um, they presumed he had written this. Um, he had, they presumed he had killed his family, taken his own life and spared the oldest son's David's life and had written that on the computer saying, you're the only one who deserved, who deserved to stay alive. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of their running theory. So now they're like, well, we need more evidence to kind of back this up before we move forward. So they continue looking through the house and there was blood everywhere um, as if the killer had basically made sure to track it and touch everything and, you know, walk through every room. They even found blood in the laundry room, um, which was odd because, you know, nobody's body was found there or near there. Um, They found bloody sock prints that um, measured 280 millimeters. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were bullets in Robin's bed, so the dad... And they found true crime books in his car, uh, one of which was actually a book about murdering his fam, murdering <gasps> the character murdering his family. So they were oh, like, oh, no, yikes. I mean, obviously circumstantial, but like definitely leads you to believe <laughs> this is in the right direction. Definitely a little close to home if it were a coincidence. Exactly. <laughs> like right? one million percent. And I hesitate to say that because I'm like, if I'm... Uh, accused of a crime and true yeah looks at my history but no you're exactly like you're totally right it was very uh i i do have to say if i am murdered like i i'm sorry christine but you're definitely gonna be a suspect like i'm going to, I'm def- going to jail don't fucking die or i'm going to jail it's true <laughs> it's true i feel like we have like millions of people who are just gonna be like yeah yeah here we can quote I, yeah. christine verbatim <laughs> And I sure would love to, like, be able to use a Ouija board and convince people on your behalf that you're not the killer. But at this point, maybe you fucking are. Who's to say? Honestly, see, now they're going to use that exact audio footage against me in the courtroom. So watch it. Are you ready? Oh, yeah, for the courtroom. She did it, everyone. She did it. Get her. Get her. And then I'm going to insert the audio, Eva. So it'll say, Eva did it. Get her. (laughs) Sorry, Eva. I'm throwing you under the bus. (laughs) It was both of them, Judge. You need to handle this at once with haste. <laughs> with haste, with utmost haste. I feel like people would look at you and go, "Yeah, nice try, Christine." We know that was not Eva. Uh- <laughs> yeah, she just wrote it down, but you—you you definitely told her to write down your whole plot, which is bad because she definitely, uh, yeah, recorded everything. She's a great writer. Oh no, you two are going to be the the end of me. I swear. Okay, yes, that's the goal. 
Anyway, so they found those books and they were like, yikes. Um, they also found a bloody glove under Stephen's bed. And Stephen is um, the youngest child uh, who fought, fought with his attacker. So he's the one who had like the bullet wound mm-hmm. through his hand and all that. So things were a little bit off, though, at the same time. So first of all, the glove stood out to them to the police because they were like, why? If you're going to like openly kill your family and then end your own life and write a note on the computer, why are you wearing gloves? Like, what are you? Right. Why are you like hiding your fingerprints? You know, it's it's just strange. Um, and then they found out that the glove uh, and the gun belonged to David, and the glove was actually like his opera glove. Because <laughs> remember how he was in <gasps> oh, opera? Yeah. <laughs> So they're like, well, that's weird. I, he would have had to go, like, get David's glove. Um, and then they looked in David's room, and they found bullets all over the room. They found a 1,000 rounds of ammo in his dresser. I don't even know. That's a lot. That sounds like a lot to me. I don't know much about guns, but a 1,000 rounds seems like a lot. It's definitely more than zero, which is what I have. So <laughs> sounds like a lot. It's definitely more than negative 100. Do you hear that, Jerry? I have negative 100 <laughs> rounds in my dresser for future reference. <laughs> um, so they also, this is even wilder, they found the missing lens from David's glasses. And that lens was found in Stephen's room where that struggle had taken place. Mm. So they were like, well, that is interesting. Um, now, before the trial, so they were going to go to trial, but before the trial, David continued to act strange. He was staying with his aunt, and he kept having these breakdowns about, like, black hands coming to get his family. Um, he spent a lot of time organizing his family's funerals, but then when the day of the funerals came, he refused to go. And a friend who had traveled down to be with him asked why, and he just turned to his friend and said, you know. <gasps> and... According to the friend, that was the moment when he was like, I knew he had mur- I knew he had done it. Like, yeah. I knew he had killed his whole family. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So now it's looking like instead of Robin that this is actually David's doing. So they uh, arrest David and they charge him with five counts of murder and um, they go to trial. So I guess I'll tell you, like, what the prosecution's theory was first. And uh, fun fact, BTW. Um, so while the United States says, like, in the U.S., we say, uh, you know, the state of California versus whoever, or right. the people versus the people versus M. Schultz, for right. for example. The people um, versus Christine Schieffer, which is what will happen after my death. I, I was hoping you wouldn't rec- put that on audio record forever, but, but there it is. <laughs> yes, either one. Okay, sorry. So we, that's what we say here. But in New Zealand, they actually say the crown or the queen. Okay. Or si- simply R, which stands for Regina, which is uh, Latin for the word queen, because Elizabeth II is considered head of state there. Mm, okay. So if I say, like, the crown, that's basically the prosecution. Got it. Um, it sounds way cooler, too. It really does. That's the point. Yeah. Um, so David wakes up at 530. So this is what the prosecution or the crown believes happened. This is what they present at trial um, against David. So they say David woke up at 530 a.m. the day of the murders. He takes his 22 rifle out of his closet, unlocks the trigger guard, attaches the silencer, loads the, the 10 round magazine, gets dressed, puts on his opera gloves and an old pair of his mother's glasses um because his were being repaired okay then they say he goes to first lynette's room he shoots her twice in the head while she's asleep then he goes to his mother's room shoots her once in the forehead as she lies in bed 
then um, enters Stephen's room. I mean, this is sounding like Amityville, though, isn't it? I was going to say, it literally sounds like Amityville. He's going into each room and just, like, killing them off one by one while they sleep. Right? While they sleep. And so, like, I guess that kind of goes... I know we've talked about Amityville, but, like, he had a silencer on, and I guess they just didn't hear it, which is just wild to me. But... Uh, and the neighbors didn't hear it either, which is crazy. So um, then he so he shoots um, his mother as she lies in bed. Then he enters Stephen's room and he pushes the rifle. This is what they believe against okay. Stephen's forehead while he's asleep. And then Stephen wakes up, pushes the rifle away as a shot is fired. A struggle ensues, which is when Stephen's head injury happens and the bullet through his hand. Um, and then they believe David began strangling him with his own T-shirt. And then as he's strangling him, he finishes him off with one shot to the head. Jesus. Okay. And so then they say, you know, during the struggle, this is when David's glasses fall off. And one of the lenses is knocked from the frames and left on the floor. Um, then he grabs his glasses, goes back to his own bedroom, puts them on a chair, and then goes downstairs to his sister Arawa's room. And she, they believe, has at this point heard the struggle and was on her knees praying mm. for help or at least be- so sad. begging for it's really, yeah, it, that part's just really tragic. Um, and so obviously uh, she was killed as well. Um, they think that now that he had taken his glasses off, he had missed his first shot because um, they found a stray bullet, but then hits her with a second shot in the forehead and she Jesus. is killed. Yeah, and so then they believe he went upstairs where he hears Lynette gurgling. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. And that comes back into play, actually, as, like, evidence later. So, okay. unfortunately, I had to say it. Um, <laughs> it's really awful. Jeez. And he, they believe he hears this and then shoots her again. Um, and so during all this, they believe Robin is still asleep in the RV out back, which is where he, you know, spends the night. Uh and then they believe that David throws his bloody clothing in the washing machine, turns it on, which is how the blood got into the laundry room. Uh, then he throws on a fresh set of clothing, and then he and his dog head out and complete the paper route or paper route before coming home. Jeez. Typing the message on the computer. Then uh, hiding behind the curtains in the living room with the gun, waiting for his father to come in. Because I guess every day his dad would come in at a certain time and and pray, which was like his normal routine. Mm. Okay. So they think he completed the paper out basically as an alibi, then waited for his dad to come inside and then shot him twice in the head. um, Placed the rifle next to Robin and called 111 to say they're all dead. And I found I just got back from my paper route and found this, you know, situation in my house. So, Whew, how that about is, that? Uh, uh, how about that candelabra <laughs> and that clock I dancing know. around? I was like, my goodness, waiting for you to fi- find the perfect moment. <laughs> yep, here it is. <laughs> oh, you found it! Yeah, I, I found did. it. Oh, lighthearted! Ha ha! Okay, next. The worst part is you're gonna have to bring that candle back like eight more times. Oh um, no! Okay. <laughs> so he's gonna need an encore, uh, if you will. Happily. So <laughs> the. So basically they say, well, what's the motive? And they said, oh, well, you know, maybe inheritance. Um, maybe uh, he wanted the money that his parents had set aside for this new townhouse that they were going to move to. But there wasn't anything like super clear as to why, uh, you know, why he would have murdered the whole family. That that was just the guess was inheritance. Sure. 
So then there's the defense side, and um, David's defense team argues that Robin, who was initially believed to have committed this, was actually the one who did commit this. Um, so he's the dad again, and they believe, so that what they present to the jury is that due to pressures from like failing at his job and failing at his marriage, snapped. And there was actually a witness named Dean Cottle, who was actually known as Lenyette's pimp. Um, who came, who was a witness and said that uh, Robin, her dad, was actually having an incestuous affair with his daughter, Lynette. And oh. that, yeah, and that she had revealed this to him and to a couple friends. Um, and that he said that that weekend at this family meeting, she was planning on revealing the secret and confronting her father at the meeting about this assault. And the issue is that Cottle, the um, witness, showed up to the trial really late and the prosecution said, okay, yeah, you can give testimony even though you're super late. And when he was on the stand, he couldn't recall the details of his conversation with Lynette. He Mm. was all over the place and so he was deemed an unreliable witness and his evidence was considered hearsay. So it was basically dismissed. Okay. So, yeah. So that was kind of out the window. Um, But so after, so what they believe happened is that David goes out on his paper route, as per usual. Robin enters the house from the backyard, kills everyone with David's gun, um, types the note on the computer, and then shoots himself. And um, according to David's testimony, after his paper run, he got home and entered the house without turning on the lights. And uh, he entered, he said that's why he didn't see anything. Like, that's why... So here's the discrepancy. There was a 25-minute period between when he got home, like when he was spotted by the neighbor, and when he called mm. the emergency line. Okay. So there was kind of confusion about, like, well, what took him so long to, to see this and call the police? Um, and he said he, you know, got home. He didn't turn the lights on, so he didn't see anything. He immediately went downstairs to the bathroom to wash his black newsprint-covered hands, which just, side note, becomes uh, a thing, you know... Yeah, a longstanding thing of, like, the black hands, they think, because he would come home on his paper route with newspaper-covered black ink all over his hands, that that was kind of where the the breakdown and, like, this, the yelling about the black hands did it. Got it. Okay. Came from. Got it, got it, got it. But, so... Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I don't think that was very clear. My bad. Um, no, no, no. It, it was... Cl- I remember hearing... You did not do anything wrong. I remember hearing black hands from earlier, but I was trying to place where in the story I had heard it. Yes. Okay. I'm with you. Right. So he kept saying like, oh, the black hands are, came from my family and did this. And so a lot of people believe. Right. Because his own hands that he was like disassociating somehow. And um, but anyway, that's just a side note because his defense team obviously did not say that. They said that he went down, washed his hands. Uh, and while he was down there, he tossed a load of laundry into the machine, turned it on. He went upstairs, he turned the lights on in his bedroom, and that's when he realizes that his gun is gone and there are bullets everywhere. And so he panics and finds his mother first, then finds Lynette, um, who he said he heard gurgling at this point. Then he runs downstairs and calls 111 and then uh, in great distress and then, you know, the rest is history. So that's the defense's version of events is that he came home innocent as I'll get out and and caught, sure. you know, saw the scene. Right, right, right. Um, so there are a couple issues with this, and that's, you know, the 25 minutes. Again, he said it was dark and he was doing laundry, but why was there blood all over the laundry room? That was mm. unclear. Okay. There was literally blood on the laundry detergent, and, like, why would that have 
and he was he admitted he was in there doing laundry so it's like that's strange all um, right please tell us <laughs> please explain but there's no reason really robin would have used the laundry room like in the midst of murdering people you would think um he also would have had to pass his father's body on the way to his own room um which you know again he said it was dark but it's still kind of strange that he wouldn't see his dad in the living room on the ground uh he said he ran to his mom's room first uh and noticed she had been killed but a lot of people had issue with this because apparently the way she was laying in bed you really couldn't tell she was dead unless you got really really close like you couldn't tell like it wasn't a bloody scene it's like he had to have noticed yeah like you would have had to check and like again i mean maybe he did check uh very you know perfectly likely but then um you know next he ran to the lounge and found his uh dad and a lot of people argued that like well if you had found your mother dead wouldn't you like just try to find the nearest bed like nearest person to help you and call the police whatever but that's all you know that's not any like full evidence um, and then they got results from the rifle, and they actually found a bloody set of fingerprints on the rifle that matched David's fingerprints. And oh, so, oh, interesting. Yeah, that was like definitely what's not that, good for him. What's that called? Like, um, what's the? I don't know if there's a. There's got to be a phrase where it's like the, the creme de la creme, the like the main piece. I feel like there's. A, oh yeah, like the the kicker or like the. Uh, I feel like yeah, I know phrase. what you mean. There's a phrase. I keep wanting to, I keep wanting to call it like the golden eye, which like is not true. Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> that's like our, like, logo, our podcast logo. I know you know what I'm saying, but I feel like that would be the golden eye. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, yes. Like the final nail in the coffin, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. something, something like that. Yeah, I feel like everyone's probably screaming it at us right now. Um, probably. So sorry, sorry everyone. Um, but you knew what you got yourself into. So. <laughs> Creme de la creme it is. Um, <laughs> the big golden so eye. The big golden eye is what they call it. So they found these fingerprints uh, that match David's and that kind of sealed the deal, sealed his fate, I guess. Um, and on May 29th, 1995, the jury returned and declared David Bain guilty on all five murder charges of his family. And the judge sentenced him to, he was 23 years old. The judge sentenced him to life imprisonment with, <gasps> wow. life imprisonment with a 16-year non-parole period. Wow. And um, at this point, he, like, pretty much immediately started appealing uh, the verdict over and over and over again. Um, and it kept getting denied. And that is until this story takes a really strange turn and David meets this guy uh, named Joe Karam. Joe Karam. Okay. Now, Joe Karam is a uh, very famous former professional rugby player. Oh, who had retired at age 22 and become a multimillionaire businessman. Okay. NBD. And what's that? NBD. Oh, I thought you said that's me. I was like, yeah, I'm totally. <laughs> thank you for, uh, thank you for patting my head on that one. But no, I did not say that. Yeah. Patting your head like so hesitantly and like not sounding <laughs> legitimate at all. I'm Whatever very sorry. Whatever you say, buddy. <laughs> Pro athlete extraordinaire. <laughs> um, <laughs> So this guy is like this super rich, famous dude. And I guess he had been like really closely watching the proceedings and he did not agree at all that David was guilty. And so he actually reached out to David and David's defense team and was like, I want to donate to your defense fund because I don't believe you're guilty. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's a pretty weird turn of events. So the defense provided um, Joe Karam 
like the entire case book of evidence. Um, and then over this period of time, Joe Karam visited him about 200 times um, <gasps> wow. in jail. I know. So he was like 130% committed to this. Like, Yeah, they were like, at this point, they were just homies. They were just like, okay, well, yeah, we like, know each other too well. Completely. Like they were BFFs at this point And he was like fully in, um, he decided he was going to fully fund David's appeals rather than just donate oh, wow. to the fund. He was going to like fully pay for david's entire defense um yeah so this changed the game for david big time um joe crumb began writing books about the case he wrote four in total i I feel like if you and i if one of us ended up in jail we'd be like well i love you and i'll defend you but i'm definitely not writing a book about it like (laughs) i'm sorry Uh, oh uh, for sure I'd be like, there's many. Like, I'll donate. There's many things I'll do for you, but there's also many I won't. Like, <laughs> there's like way more things that I won't. Sorry. If if you like were put in jail and I was like, the only way to get you out is to take a big old hike, I would be like, well, Christine, <laughs> I hope you get. I hope you're okay in there. I hope the food is okay because you're never leaving. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> you, there's definitely the book. Right. I mean, at this point, I was reading this like. Jesus. I mean, there are four fully-fledged books just on how he's innocent. Like, this guy is hardcore into this and, like, spending all of his money. And he's, like, a multimillionaire. He's spending all of his money on this defense. Like, it means everything to him at this point. It's kind of of weird to me, though, because, I mean, I just feel like someone must have pulled him aside at some point to be like, you are wasting your money. You are the only person who disagrees with the judge. Well, there was actually a lot of, well, I mean, we'll get to this, but yeah, it was definitely, once he started like writing the books and like talking about this publicly, a lot of people publicly were like, huh, yeah, you're right. Like you're adding, and I'll say the details later, but like there was a lot he was kind of bringing into the light that made people question the initial decision. And um, I guess, yeah, no, but you're right. Like the commitment to it is so wild for someone he never knew. But I well, guess like the, he just at least the initial commitment of like I'm gonna spend X amount of money or donate X amount of money, you know, for you, even though everyone says that you're you're wrong. Yeah, like he really like built up his own his own support system. No, you're totally right. Like he was very much from the beginning gung ho. Like no, he did not do this. Um, and yeah, no, exactly. And like it, it, I'm sure there probably were people who were like, this doesn't make sense. But I mean, you know, if he's like, this is my money and I want to spend it on this, I guess yeah. there's only so far you can, uh, do you convince somebody. Um, so, and I imagine once you're in at a certain point, it's hard to be like, actually, no, I'm done spending money on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Like, what if, what if halfway through he was like, oh, wait a minute and then he looked like a total fool yeah because it's like oh well you know you're running out of money or you need to like start selling things i mean i can't imagine at what point would you be like well i've right. gone too far you know oh yeah yeah so yeah so it's pretty wild he writes these four books um and for a while he, they're not getting a retrial but then he puts together with the defense team nine points um to bring to the council in an attempt to uh exonerate him and get a retrial and like you know reassess this case so i'm just gonna like list some of these points that they brought up to publicly and to the court so the first one was robin's mental state and uh so robin was presented in the first trial as being like this father who you know 
he just was trying his best and living out back and and David came and like murdered him in cold blood, his own father, yada, yada. Um, But so Karam and the defense team brought up that like apparently a lot of Robin's colleagues came forward saying like Robin was not mentally stable. He was um, allowing publication like his students were publishing or writing these like really sadistic stories um, and like sexually violent and like people yeah there were like writings they found about like uh his students were writing killing family members just like this weirdly dark sadistic content in um in his paperwork and that kind of thing and so they were like this was never brought to light or like presented um another thing was that there was no clear motive on either side so like four more people had come forward at this point saying that Lynette had told them she had been sexually assaulted by her father. So now they suddenly had like actual multiple witnesses who said like, no, that was true. I know the first guy, um, her pimp, who was uh, questioned on the stand was deemed unreliable. But now there were multiple people saying like, no, she told me that too. Like that was Ooh, true. Okay. Um, and then as for the bloody sock prints, so they were 280 millimeters and they had measured robin's and robin's feet were 270 millimeters so 10 uh, millimeters off but no one in the first trial had measured david's so this time they did and his were 300 millimeters so like much farther Mm. off from the prints than robin's were right and um that this is actually where so this video i was watching on youtube this danelle hallen um, so she actually inserted this later when she was editing. She's like, I actually looked at some crime scene photos. And in the photos, Robin is wearing shoes in the picture. So that's strange because he would have had to leave the sock prints. He would have had to uh, take his shoes off when he came in from the RV. Right. Um, and then leave the sock prints, then put his shoes back on um, and then kill himself. Mm-hmm. But also there was no blood on his outfit at all. Um, he was wearing a watch too and some accessories that also had no blood on them but then uh i actually scrolled down and read the comments and someone actually mentioned like their dad had attempted to take his own life and he put on a really expensive suit and shoes and dressed really well and later on when i mean he survived thankfully and the 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 child of this person asked why did you do that and he said i wanted to look nice when i died so you know they were saying maybe that's what happened maybe he killed his family and then changed because he wanted you know to present himself a certain way so it's possible um but it is still strange that the sock prints were there and like he was not where you know he was in shoes it's just weird um so let's see okay so the next point is the computer and they use the time on the computer initially to build an entire time frame of when uh of when David got home and killed everyone, but it turns out the computer actually wasn't even set on the correct time. So, like, that was just a moot point. Yeah. And then there's the glasses. Um, So, apparently, they had found, you know how they found the lens of David's glasses on the floor of Stephen's room? And they were like, it probably got there when they were fighting. Yeah. So, apparently, the lens was actually found, like, really tucked away under an ice skate and had dust on it so it was like it had been sitting there for a long time oh so when he was saying like i need my glasses i need my glasses he clearly didn't need them that bad well no so it actually turns out that the glasses were actually his mom yeah because he he was borrowing hers because his were broken and so they're saying like maybe they were broken and they didn't know where the lens was and it was in his brother steven's room like the whole time it wasn't like it had gotten knocked out 
while they okay. were fighting, if gotcha. that makes okay. sense. Sorry, I was stuck on a previous point. But yes, I hear you. Sorry, it's all very convoluted. But basically, it turns out he was actually wearing his mother's glasses anyway. Um, and the lens that they found had had dust on it. So they were like, it probably didn't get there during the fight. Right. Like, it had been sitting there for a while. So they believe the jury had been pretty much misled about these glasses. They weren't as big of a case or a point as they thought. And then there's the golden eye, the bloody fingerprints on the rifle. That's what I'm saying, the golden eye. <laughs> so David um, had said, the, those fingerprints, sure, there's blo- my bloody fingerprints is my gun, but I hunt regularly. Like, that could have been blood from an animal. Um, but the, the smoking gun. The smoking gun. Oh, my God. And it's literally about a gun. <laughs> it's literally, that's what you said, gun. And I was like, all the pieces are coming together. Holy shit. Okay, anyway, the smoking gun is a gun. It's Got a, it. It's a bloody gun. Um, and so he was like, well, it could be animal blood. Like, I hunt regularly. And uh, it turns out mm. that the jury had been led to believe the blood was human blood with David's fingerprints, but it had never been tested. So they tested it, and it turns out that the blood of his on his fingerprints were actually not human blood. So... Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So they were actually, like, from an animal, presumably, from hunting. So then finally, there's the point of Lanyette gurgling and how he said he had heard the gurgling. Well, the prosecution originally argued like David would only have heard that if he had killed her because between because someone would have had to hear the gurgling and then shoot her one more time Mm, to kill her. But um, this is a really good point that Danelle made in her video. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, That. In postmortem, like, your body does some weird shit. I mean, we've gotten listener stories from people who work in mortuaries, funeral homes. You know, like, there's gas escaping your body after you die. Your eyes can open. Your muscles can twitch. it could be anything. Exactly. So, like, it's entirely possible that he heard, like, a gurgling sound. And it was after she had been already dead. So, um, then finally, the kicker was that... uh, they're, they hired a, a pathologist who named Dr. Gwynn, who said the evidence showed that Robin did, in fact, die by suicide. And so that was kind of their, like, presentation as, like, Robin did this, not David. You need to give him another chance. Mm. So because all of this is so wild and public and, like, such a huge thing in the media, the public perception, like, shifted completely, pretty strongly, at least, into David's favor. So suddenly people were like, shit. I see. Okay. Right. So like, they're like, maybe he didn't do it. um, And maybe it's the wrong guy. So they basically this spurred an entire new investigation. And um, in 2007, the council concluded that a substantial miscarriage of justice has actually occurred. So they decided to do a full retrial, full investigation. And at this point, they recommended that David remain in custody while he awaited his tri- retrial. Like, he'd been in jail for 13 years at this point. And they were like, let's keep him there just in case. But five days later, they decide, uh, the high court at Christchurch decided he was not a flight risk. And they basically sent him out to <laughs> to basically live with Joe Karam until <laughs> the retrial. Wow, okay. <laughs> so, Great. I mean, that's, I guess, his only pal now. You yeah. know, they're like <laughs> BFF. So he basically gets out and, like lives with joe um until the retrial so the retrial began march 6 2009 it lasted about three months um the defense also showed some additional things which is that robin apparently had injuries on his hands which they said was probably from fighting with steven in the altercation Mm -hmm. um 
they apparently hadn't run tests properly. Like Robin's hands were not covered when he was transported to the morgue. And um, they did a gunshot residue test five hours later, even though after four and a half hours, usually all the residue is gone. So it's just like mishandling by police, they thought. Um, And then overall, the prosecution called 130 witnesses and the defense called 54. So this was like an insane, uh, you know, reassessment of the whole case. Yeah, holy crap. And then on June 5th, 2009, after a single day of deliberation, the jury, well, first they came out and asked the judge to give some more clarity as to what counts as reasonable doubt. And (laughs) the judge was like, okay, I'll give you some more clarity. And then when they got an answer, it only took a little bit longer for them to come back out and find David not guilty on all five charges. So they completely overturned. Wow. 180. 180 on the, like, of murdering his entire family. Just, like, complete 180. Um, And so at this point, he had spent 13 years in prison. So he and Joe Karam had this, like, press conference outside the courthouse. It was, like, super emotional. They were like, we finally did it. Justice has been served. Um, And he had a lot of supporters, but there were also so many people who were just pissed and devastated and like, you let a murderer free. We still think he's guilty. Sure. Um, And now he's like roaming the streets. Uh, And actually, like some of this kind of goes into that. So two jurors actually uh, were seen like shaking hands with him and congratulating him. And then they went to an after party that Joe Karam was throwing to celebrate. What? Okay. And they were like, these are jurors. Like, they're supposed to be impartial. And now they're, like, out partying with Joe Karam and David. Yeah, a nice, that's um, a healthy dose of bias right there. I would say, right? Yeah, so that, that got a lot of criticism. And then some people said, well, no, they just were invited. So they showed up but then left. And then apparently some jurors were said to have been passing notes and giggling during the trial, which obviously also is not Yikes, good. no. Yeah, no. So, and then something that, like, I didn't know where to fit in because it wasn't actually included in the trial, but I thought it was, like, really important because it added a lot to the public anger um, when David was released is that apparently David, this is from an acquaintance of David's, that he had this rape fantasy that he had <gasps> told his friend about. Oh. And, um... Yeah, he said prior to the murders in 94, David had basically told his friend how easy it would be to rape a young woman who lived on his paper route. (gasps) Um, Oh, my gosh. And he had told his friend, like, yeah, it would be so easy. I would just use my paper route as an alibi, like, use my delivery route as a cover. Um, And this wasn't heard at trial, but, like, it just became part of the narrative of, like, well, that's really fucking creepy and awful awful and like you know and some people are like well he's making it up and people are like why like why would this friend make this up why would you do that yeah (laughs) it's just really uh a bizarre like cog in this whole thing that i wasn't sure where to fit um but then basically this is kind of just wrapping it up so Uh, David filed a compensation claim for wrongful imprisonment in 2010, but apparently to receive compensation for wrongful imprisonment, it's not enough to just be, to have reasonable doubt. It's not enough for a jury to say like, oh, we're not sure. Like basically you have to prove that you are innocent. Like not that you're not guilty, but that you're like, no. Yeah. You've got to be able to like convince someone otherwise, not just like a, like a meh. Exactly. Exactly. And so basically he had to prove this. So They brought a retired judge from Canada in to investigate this, and he determined that David was innocent and deserved compensation. They brought it back to New Zealand, and the previous judge had retired. The new judge was like, no, I don't agree. So anyway, in 2015, the Crown finally agreed to make an ex gratia payment, which basically means like a payment without admitting 
guilt or admitting culpability. So they're like, we didn't wrongfully imprison you, but we will give you, it's like a settlement, basically. They're like, we'll give you this money if you like don't fight us on this anymore. Gotcha. Um, and that was, they gave him $925,000. So, <laughs> Damn, um, okay. Big chunk of, big chunk of change. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's also in New Zealand currency, I believe. Oh. So I'm not actually sure of the... Uh, the uh got it you know, got it got it got it difference that's a good point <laughs> but i think it's still a uh, still a lot of money i think um yeah so anyway this is kind of like the final chapter on this so david bain ended up remarrying he took his wife's surname which i guess makes sense you know yeah changing his last name he currently works for an engineering firm kind of like lives a chill life um so Joe, our friend Joe Kamora, uh, he spent pretty much all of his fortune, or at least most of it, on David and his legal fund. And since that, since that, um, that trial, that retrial, he's been fending off or suing people ever since. So he's just like all of his money has basically gone toward this. Wow. Um, and they've done separate public opinion polls in New Zealand. Um, most people apparently believe David is innocent, but a lot of people are strongly adamant that he's still guilty. Um, even the chief coroner of New Zealand, like, questioned the findings, and he's like, mm. the death certificates were off, and, like, I want to look into this. But the court basically said, it doesn't matter, because if you find that, like, oh, no, like, there's literally a picture of him stabbing his, or shooting his mom, like, there's nothing you can do, because he's already been exonerated. Right, right. So, like, we're not going to spend the money and time on this. Like, it's just not yeah. worth it. No matter what, it's over. Exactly. So, basically, the entire case cost taxpayers $7 million. Um, the retrial alone was 4 million. And so this basically became the most expensive trial in the history of the country of New Zealand. Um, and this is a little bit chilling, just like a creepy fact in 2017, David received his rifle back, um, among Mm -hmm. other belongings because no, they'd like no longer, you know, held any evidentiary value value. Sure. And then um, final fun fact for you is that T-shirts with – so Margaret, the mom, had knitted these sweaters, and David actually wore them at his trial. And so now they sell T-shirts with, like, those kind of, Ooh, like, like, 90s design? designs. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, I Googled no. it. They're, like, these very, like, 90s, like, shapes and stuff, you know? Oh, wow. Um, okay. So you can buy, like, shirts that he wore during the trial that his mother had made. So anyway, that is the story of the Bain family murders. Wow. <laughs> oh, wait. Do... And then there was this giant candle that was started dancing around. It was really great. I. That's my favorite part. That's got to be. That and, <laughs> and uh, obviously the teapots, you know, mm, in, a, mm. in a little uh, rocket line. Um, exactly. I do appreciate you trying to throw in a fun fact about merchandise after the fact to really, like, uh, make make my heart feel a little lighter. That was a really wild fucking story. It was just a lot. Like, I was watching that YouTube video. It was over an hour. And I was like, how could this take over an hour? And now I'm looking at our time. And I'm like, Jesus, that, like, almost took me an hour. Well, I mean, like, like, you told me the first wild part of the entire death. And then you were like... And then things take a turn. And I was like, what? <laughs> what kind of plot twist is going to happen here? They turn and like launch into outer space and we never return because it's just so bonkers. Yeah. I mean, imagine like potentially murdering your entire family and then like Mia Ham like yes! wants to help you. And then Mia you go Hamm. live with her. And also she has no money anymore because she was defending you for her several years. 
or months or whatever. And now people are like buying uh, your mom's, your your deceased mom's sweaters, uh, t-shirts or selling them as, as merchandise. Yikes. Yeah. Like it's just so absurd. And you're right. It would be like Mia Hamm or something. I, <laughs> truly, I would be like Mia Hamm is writing me? Like what is going on? Yes. Like, can you imagine that first? Because he's probably like, I'm screwed. I'm in here for life. And then they're like, you just got a call from this super famous rugby player. And he's like, that must be a prank. <laughs> right. Like, you'd think that would be a prank. Why? I don't know. It's just so wild. Anyway, no, that's so, super bizarre. So that's that. I'm sure people in New Zealand probably have their own very strong opinions on it. And I obviously don't know uh, as much as, you know, a lot of people do. But they probably do. Yeah. So that's that. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to our wild tales. Yeah. Holy moly. Well... Hopefully everyone's having a better week than David Bain did um, a few t- for a few weeks <laughs> in a row there. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, hopefully everyone is safe that you know, and no one's going through anything like either of the stories we shared. And Mm-mm. good luck. We'll talk to you next and week. We, we'll talk to you next week, or we'll see you Thursday if you join us for our happy hour. Or Marvel Mondays and you know all that fun stuff. Um, and we love you very much. Or maybe tune into like tune into like a Judge Judy episode where you find out if Christine really <laughs> killed me or not. I mean, who knows? There, also, like just like maybe we'll see you on Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah, you know? the new live action uh, one where I play the big candle. Yeah, yeah, I play the clock. <laughs> love story for the ages. <laughs> all right, uh, and that's why. We drink. <laughs> In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.